This is Building on the Solid Rock with Pastor Troy Neely of Calvary Chapel, Solid Rock. Let every family find faith in the Father's love. This is where it begins. This is our cry, this is our song, Jesus the way. We find our life in Him. Cracked and imperfect, but God sees the work of art that he can create from it. He has vision for your life, and he doesn't see the flaw, but he sees the finished product. And see, that's why he has such an affection for you. Because of what he sees, you're going to become what you're going to be, not because of necessarily what you were, the cracks. He sees what you're going to be, and he's going to continue to work on you. And he promises to finish that work. Philippians 1.6 says, Being confident of this very thing, that he who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. Hey, that's for his friends. That's for those he's elected, those he's chosen. Because of our finite minds, when we think about our lives, we can only see what's directly in front of us or what's behind us. We can't see what's ahead of us, so we get discouraged by the past mistakes we've made or because we currently aren't living the life we want. But as Pastor Troy teaches today, God sees the full picture, and he's excited and in love with what he sees. If you feel discouraged by the cracks and flaws in your life, take heart in knowing that God's still working his perfect plan in you. Now, here's Pastor Troy in the book of John chapter 15 as he begins his message, What a Friend We Have in Jesus title today is What a Friend We Have in Jesus. I'm sure you've heard the song, What a Friend We Have in Jesus, but you may not know a little bit about how the song came to be. It was actually a poem titled Pray Without Ceasing, written by Joseph Scriven. It later became a song, but here's how it was born, you could say. Joseph was born in Ireland. He grew up and fell in love with the love of his life, the woman of his dreams who agreed to marry him. The day before they were to be married, from a great distance, he could see that she was coming on horseback over a bridge. Something happened, a stumbling or something, and she was thrown off the horse, fell off the horse, off the bridge, into the water below, and drowned. He couldn't do anything about it. That's the day before. How's that for a day before the wedding, huh? Well, he was crushed. As time passed, he moved to Canada where he became a tutor for children and became very highly regarded in the area. And it was there that he met another young woman, another wonderful young woman named Elisa Roche. And he fell in love again. During the course of that engagement, Elisa caught pneumonia. And she would eventually die before they got married. Well, Joseph was devastated and didn't want to go through those kind of pains ever again. And he never married remained single his whole life. Well, around the same time the second woman, Elisa, died, he gets word from Ireland that his mom had become sick and was now on her deathbed. He couldn't afford to take a boat back to be in Ireland with his mom to spend time with her, to comfort her, so he wrote a poem. And this was that poem. It wasn't called What a Friend We Have in Jesus. It was called Pray Without Ceasing. But When you think about these words now, the words of comfort from someone who knew what it felt like to feel all alone. No one gets it, man. This is is like 
solitary confinement, just me and God. You ever try to tell someone how you feel and you realize they're just not getting it? They're not getting it. You so want that comfort. You so want someone to share in that with you, but you realize there is no one, only the Lord. And that's what was written from this man's heart. Words like, have we trials and temptations? Is there trouble anywhere? We should never be discouraged. Take it to the Lord in prayer. Can we find a friend so faithful who will all our sorrows share? Jesus knows our every weakness. Take it to the Lord in prayer. The idea is that we are never alone in whatever it is that we go through. Whatever things we carry, we don't have to be crushed by them because God will help us. He'll be there with us and be there for us. Today we consider what a friend we have in Jesus. Jesus has been spending time at this final Passover with his disciples. One of them's already left, Judas, who's gone to betray him. But now he's been speaking to those about abiding who are abiding. And he has a word for them, this special designation for them. And he says, I call you friends. So let's look at our text and talk about a few things that we can learn about Jesus as it relates to this role of friendship. Verse 12, he says, this is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, than to lay down one's life for his friends. You are my friends if you do whatever I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for a servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends. For all things that I heard from my father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should remain. That whatever you ask the father in my name, he may give you. These things I command you, that you love one another. The first thing we really get from this is that as far as being his friend is that Jesus picks his friends. Jesus picks his friends. This is good for his disciples to hear. He's kind of reminding them right now that, look, you didn't get into this because you wormed your way into it. I chose you, remember? This is on me. It's not on you. It's on me. So Jesus picks his friends. And because Jesus picks his friends, it tells us something about Jesus in this whole relationship that we have with him, especially this friend relationship that we have with him. Because you got to admit, this is different. Most friend relationships are mutual. We like each other. We hang out. We connect. We go, hey, let's go eat. Let's go do something. And then we connect. But Jesus says, nope, didn't happen that way. I chose you. So it tells us a few things. One, it tells us about his position. His position. If you know anything about famous or wealthy people, then they tend to be very careful about who they allow into their circle of friends because there are so many who are after what they have. They have an ulterior motive and they want to get from this person in the way of friendship, whatever they can to take advantage of the relationship. And so these famous rich and all these individuals can be very slow to allow some to take up the place of friend in their life. So while others want to be their friend for their own reasons, they are careful. They're careful in who they allow or choose to allow to be in that place of friend. Well, Jesus has certain qualities that are very attractive, very beneficial, very advantageous. If we could just have some of that. And so a lot of people would love to have the benefits of a relationship with him, but not really care about 
the relationship with him. So he limits. He chooses his friends. Not only that, but it also speaks of his election, right? I chose election. There are major fights, wars over this idea of election, predestination. And I personally, I don't have a problem with it because it's taught in Scripture. Ephesians 1, 4 says, just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world. So I have no problem with the idea of predestination, election. So if God chose us in advance, then why would we even give an altar call? Well, because I also believe the scriptures that speak of responding and responsibility to respond. When Jesus commands a person, believe, come, repent. I believe that that word implies that a person needs to obey it has a choice to make. Jesus spoke to the religious leaders, condemning them because they were studying the scriptures. They knew the scriptures. They knew the laws. They were obeying laws and things that weren't even in the law. But the problem was, though they were checking off all the boxes on the law, they missed the one all of that pointed to. It wasn't the relationship. It was the check the boxes, the law, the righteousness that they felt from doing things. Lord said, you missed it. You missed it. Here's what Jesus said to them in John 5, 40. He said, but you are not willing to come to me that you may have life. They were studying. They were doing all the laws, but they were not willing to come to him. They weren't what? Willing. See, it wasn't that they couldn't. It was that they wouldn't. And Jesus says so. So election, free will. You remember the old commercials uh, about Reese's Peanut Butter Cups? Some of you may not remember at all, but it was like two things that don't seem to go together. And these two, they run into each other and the guy's eating this chocolate and the girl's scooping up her peanut butter or vice versa. And they bump into each other and it's like, hey, this is like a love relationship here. The two go together. Well, some think that election and free will predestination and human choice don't go together. But in the scriptures, God seems to put it together really neatly. He doesn't even apologize for having them both in there. And he doesn't even explain it. It's like, duh, you got to make a choice. (laughs) But I'm all knowing. How can I not know everything? And so I think Peter put it really well for us in 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. It says, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to the pilgrims of the dispersion in Pontius, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father. There it is. Elect according to foreknowledge of God the Father in the sanctification of the Spirit for obedience and sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ. Grace to you and peace be multiplied. That word foreknowledge means knowing in advance. It doesn't mean making happen in advance. It means knowing in advance. You can see it. You know, there is no way to have God be all-knowing and not know everything that would happen. Just no way. He couldn't even make a choice like, you know, I chose you with not even thinking about No, he has to. He's God. He saw everything in advance. So here's the way it works well for me as I envision it. Let's remove Satan from the equation, the great tempter, and say mankind lived it out with that choice to eat from the tree or not, to obey him or not, to honor him and worship him or not, to 
take Satan out of the equation. God knows who would and who wouldn't. The Cain's and Abel's of the world. He knows. He can look down the quarter of time without the factor of Satan, and he could see who would and who wouldn't. Now, when you add Satan to the equation, we're dead. He's an invisible enemy. He's got spiritual insights we have know nothing about. And so if God hadn't given us insight, we would be dead. We would all just be going to hell. It says we're born, you know, all of us, born in condemnation. So what God does is he has elected to say, all those who would have, I'm not going to let him take. I'm going to ensure that they do what they would have done without the disruptor, without the deceiver. Pastor Troy will return soon with the second part of today's message, so be sure to stay tuned. If you'd like to listen to more teachings from Building on the Solid Rock, we invite you to visit our website, buildingonthesolidrock.com. Pastor Troy has been teaching verse by verse through the Bible, and you can listen online to our archive of these messages. You can also download each teaching to listen to later, or share with your friends and family. You can even subscribe to Building on the Solid Rock podcast through iTunes. That way, you'll never miss a teaching, and you'll be notified as soon as we make these messages available. Find a link to subscribe when you visit buildingonthesolidrock.com. Now, here's Pastor Troy with the continuation of today's message. So, it's kind of like this. God predestined to throw a rope. We were all born drowning. God predestined to throw that rope, and the rope is there. And anyone can grab the rope. But you can't be saved unless you grab the rope. Now, there's more than that. See, because you grab the rope, that's not what saves you either. See, the one who threw the rope has to elect to reel the rope in. He has to elect to pull it in. If he doesn't elect to pull it in, you're just there hanging on to a rope. See, that's election. He has elected. It all kind of works together. Now, maybe the whole idea of election has never made sense. You've never heard of it. Maybe it's a little scary. You're thinking, well, what if I'm not elected then? I'm a little concerned. All I can say is this. If you see the rope, if you hear the voice of God, respond. Just respond. Hey, anyone in church today, there's a reason you're here. And God knows. And so you have an opportunity to respond. Romans 10, 13 says this. For whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Very easy. But you say, well, what if I'm not ready right now? What if right now is not the time? What if I don't want to at this moment? Well, then maybe you're not elect. But that's not fair. Well, then say yes. Here's the thing. God knows in advance his foreknowledge. He knows in advance who would, who would not, who will, who won't. He knows the difference in the genuine believer and the faker or the one who's in it for themselves. Let me, I'll grab it. Yeah. And they're only on until they go, "Ah, this isn't what I'm on for. Ah, nah, nah, nah. He knows the difference in advance. And guess what? He doesn't elect to pull the rope of those who aren't genuine. He knows. Now, this is an imperfect picture because in this picture, and and there are no perfect pictures to illustrate some of what goes on in the heavenly realm. But in this picture, it seems that you got to have strength to hold on to the rope. What if I don't have strength? He's reeling me in, but I don't have the strength. Well, let's call strength faith. 
your faith. And even that is not of yourself. It sounds like something I've heard before in the Bible. That not of yourselves, that is the gift of God. So that God is working in the life of those, that the pulling process, let's call that sanctification. You're going through waves and maybe little icebergs here and there, <laughs> smacking you around, but you know, you're hanging on like, I don't know if I'm going to be able to, but you're going to be able to if you're elect. Because he's been doing things and bringing you through things and building up your faith so that your faith is strong when it needs to be. And he's building you up and he's interested in you. There are those who genuinely believe he knows who they are and there are those who just play games and he knows who they are. He doesn't reel in. He doesn't elect to pull in to invest himself in those who don't really Want Jesus. So in picking his friends, we can see his position to do so, his election, but we also see his affection, his love. Think about it. God knew all about you, everything about you, and yet he still chose you. He chose you. He knew all about your weaknesses, your mistakes, your habits, your failures, what you'd be going through, how you would cry out, how often you would cry out, and yet he chose you with all of his heart anyway. He knows you, and guess what? He's not discouraged because of you. He's not disappointed. He knows all things. If anything, he feels for you because he knows you're up against something that if he didn't intervene, you'd be toast. He feels for you. That's why for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that who would ever believe in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Why? You cannot do this. You need him. So if anything, he feels for you and he knows with all the cracks that you have, he knows exactly what he has for you. In the 1500s, a massive block of marble was taken to Florence, Italy where many of the master artists lived or where they would go to purchase something like a big, massive block of marble to sculpt. Artists would pass by this one massive block and reject it because it had flaws that limited what could be done with it. They noticed that there was a little crack that kind of limited it. If you started chipping and chiseling in this certain area, it was just going to destroy the whole thing. And so they said, we don't want this. Even the great sculptor Donatello saw it and refused it because it had a big crack in it. And then one artist saw the large piece of marble, the flaw, and he had a vision for it. The crack didn't keep him away. The crack gave him vision for this particular piece. The artist's name was Michelangelo. For two years, he worked on, chiseled away at this flawed block of marble and brought forth what has been called his greatest work ever, the statue of David, which still stands and attracts art lovers from all over the world to the courtyards of Florence, Italy. God's got to work. God cares. And though you have lots of flaws and cracks, you're really, guys, we are really just a cracked slab. And God can look in that slab and see, just like Michelangelo. Michelangelo said of this slab, there's an angel inside and I must set it free. God can see that. Cracked and imperfect, but God sees the work of art that he can create from it. He has vision for your life. And he doesn't see the flaw, but he sees the finished product. And see, that's why he has such an affection for you. 
because of what he sees you're going to become, what you're going to be, not because of necessarily what you were, the cracks. He sees what you're going to be. And he's going to continue to work on you. And he promises to finish that work. Philippians 1.6 says, Being confident of this very thing, that he who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. Hey, that's for his friends. That's for those he's elected, those he's chosen. So his position, his election, his affection, all of these we can see in his choosing. He has a vision for what you will be in his hands, which leads us to the fourth thing that we see as he chooses friends, and that is his intention. His intention. See, God has a purpose for your life, not just to take you to heaven either. Get saved, let's go to heaven. That's what it's all about. He's got more for you. He wants to use you here. He's going to be molding and shaping you here. Verse 16 says, you did not choose me, but I chose you and what? Appointed you that you should go and bear fruit. Those he chose and has befriended, he has appointed and ensured, as the father is the one who tends, remember, that there will be fruit. You see, you are chosen for salvation based on his foreknowledge. He knew about you all along, who you would be, who you really are. And he appointed you for good works. It's the vision of the artist, those good works. So first comes salvation, and then we grow into service. And it shapes up as he begins to shape us up. We go out and we share the good news with the world. And what we become as his friends and those he is molding and shaping and those of us who are maturing is we become a witness of the good news And we amaze the world at what God can do with a broken slab. God has chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. The cracked slabs to confound those who think they're all that. Or that they don't need him. All this so that others can see the rope. Those that God already knows about. He's calling to himself. They can say, Yes, Lord, I hear. And they can return to the one they've been lost from. And then they can be saved, sanctified, and sent, just like all of his other friends. So Jesus picks his friends. We can see his position in this, his election, his affection, and his intention. Second, Jesus helps his friends. Now, that's good news because if he picks you as his friend, you're going to need all the help you can get. So what kind of help does he give to those who are his friends? Well, first, we just talked about it. He saves you. Can't do that ourselves. He saves you. Verse 13 says, Greater love has no one than this, than to lay down one's life for his friends. Yes, the cross represents the fact that he paid the price. Fact. He paid the price for your sin so that you could go to heaven. That's just plain facts. To tell us die. It is finished. The price is paid. But it's not just about facts, man. He loves you. For God so loved the world that he gave. See, what motivated him to pay the price was his love. See, he didn't just choose you to be his friend. He did everything to open up the way so that you could be his friend. So he saves you. The second way he helps us is he informs you. He informs you. God speaks to us, you know. He lets you in on His plan, what's going on, on all the details. There's a lot more I wish he would tell me, but he doesn't. But I've got a good idea of the plan at large, and it helps me. 
It helps me understand a lot of the whys. Verse 15 says this, Jesus speaking, No longer do I call you servants, for a servant doesn't know what his master is doing. I have called you friends, for all things that I heard from my Father, I have made known to you. Pastor Troy has been teaching through the Gospel of John here on Building on the Solid Rock. Different than other Gospel books, John introduces his book by going further back than when Jesus was born as a baby. He delved into the very nature of God and solidified throughout his writing that Jesus was the Son of God. This backdrop gives you a different insight into Jesus as a man as he lived here on earth. It's no wonder that the book of John includes so many miracles, because it's evidence that only God could do such things. If you're curious to hear more of the teachings from this book, visit our website at buildingonthesolidrock.com. You can listen online or download the message to share with others. If you've been encouraged by today's message, we'd love to hear from you. Feel free to send us an email through our website, buildingonthesolidrock.com. That's all we have time for today. Join Pastor Troy next time as he continues in the book of John on Building on the Solid Rock. Let the light of Christ shine as we grow in Him. Come have your way in us. Come